the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. The title of this song to the chief musician by David. By David means the author of this psalm, Psalm 14, is David. And the dedication of this song is to the chief musician. Some scholars say this chief musician refers to our Lord Jesus Christ. And some people say it is an instruction to the choir leader during the time of David, Heman or Asaph. And actually, we can see in 53 Psalms that the dedication of these 53 Psalms are for the chief musician. Also, this Psalm, Psalm 14, looks like Psalm 53 with very, very minor variation. If you compare between Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, more or less they are identical. Maybe the most noticeable variation between Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 consists in change of Jehovah, which mentioned four times in Psalm 14, into Elohim, which was mentioned only one time in Psalm 53. This psalm actually in the beginning, David the prophet described the wicked contempt of God. How the wicked actually, they are in contempt with God. How they deny even his existence. And David laments the people who have rejected God. And to give the greater weight to his complaint, he represented God himself as expressing it. So he was speaking to these people on behalf of God. The psalm might be just a personal, personal lamentation of David, and maybe David wrote it after Absalom, his son, rebelled against him. Or maybe this psalm is generally written when godly people experiencing some sort of oppression from the ungodly or from the atheist. But when we read the psalm, there is no mention of neither the kind of oppression nor the identity of the oppressors. So he did not mention what is the kind of oppression or who are the oppressors. And as the custom in most of the Psalms, David towards the end comfort himself and comfort all of us with the hope of an answer. He assures himself and assures us that God will very soon provide uh, an answer. Although maybe in the current time uh, we groan and we feel deep distress because of all the ungodliness and wickedness around us. We can 
divide this psalm into three sections. As I told you, it's only seven verses. From verse 1 and 3, David's assessment of those who reject God. Psalm 4, from verse 4 to 6, God's punishment of the wicked. And verse 7, David's longing for the Lord's salvation. So let's read from verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. So David looked at those who denied the existence of God and concluded that they are fools. Why? Because if you look at the world around you, actually the, the heaven declares the glory of God. The earth testifies of his existence. Even your own body, if you look at your own body and you study its anatomy and its physiology, it is impossible that this body was created or was existed without a creator. That's why to deny the existence of God, that is the extreme foolishness. The word fool is the opposite of wisdom in its highest sense. The word fool in Hebrew is nabal. And nabal means to wither, to wither away. So the fool is a person who has a problem in his heart more than in his head. In his heart, he doesn't like the existence of God. That's why he denies him. Because his mind cannot resist the evidences around him that declare the existence of God. So the problem is in his heart. That's why he said the fool said in his heart. In his heart. So this word the fool said in his heart the fool has said in his heart there is no God this actually denotes moral rather than intellectual meaning most of the atheists they de deny the existence of God because of moral issues in his their heart not because of intellectual issues the fool means does not take God into account as he goes about living. That's why he is morally insensitive. He doesn't take God in his consideration. When he says there is no God, doesn't mean really the denial of the existence of God. But rather, it means a practical disbelief in God's moral government. So they feel that I can do anything. God actually will not hold me accountable. The fool may or may not really be an atheist. He is not necessarily ignorant. In his mind, they know God exists. But he lives and conducts his life as if there is no God.
That's why now people don't say we are atheists. They say we are agnostic. We don't know. Whether God exists or does not exist, I don't know. And maybe I don't care to know. And they conducting their life as if God does not exist. The fact that some men insist on denying the existence of God does not erase God from the universe. You can insist that God is not existing, but the reality is God exists whether you like it or not, you believe in it or not. So this conclusion leads the fool to disregard the revelation God has given of himself. God revealed himself in the world in so many different ways. And if we pay attention to the revelations of God in our life, these are the essential for the wise living. David said, the fool says, has said in his heart, in his heart means in his secret thoughts within himself. Maybe he's afraid to announce it publicly or ashamed to say it with his lips. He wished that God is absent for fundamentally moral reasons. Saint John explained this in John chapter 3 verse 20 when he said, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Why they hate the light? And the light is God, because lest his deeds should be exposed. St. Augustine comments on there is no God and says, therefore it is, has said in his heart, for that no one dares to say it, even if he has dared to think it. So, no one can oppose the revelations, the manifestation of the existence of God. That's why some people don't dare to say it, although they dare to think about it in their heart. Then David actually describes these people. He said, they are corrupt, they have done abominable works, there is none who does good. They are corrupt. David here consider the result of denying God. If you conduct your life as if God does not exist, actually all your life will full of corruption. The fool gives himself over to corrupt living and deeds that are vile in the sight of God. Why he does this? Because he says there is no God. Denying God leads men into corruption and abominable works. Also, as David considered the sin of God denial, he looked out over the humanity and concluded there is none who does good. So, even the people who believe in the existence of God, there is none who does good by him, by his own ability, without the grace of God. So David, when he said there is none who does good, 
He did not. He did not mean that there is no human good in this world. But he is explaining the fallen man is so fallen that he does not do good by instinct, by himself without the grace of God. David observed there is no one who does what is good in the sight of God on his own. On his own. Meaning means unmoved and without help by the Spirit of God. Then in verse 2, David said, The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who see God. So while the people deny the existence of God, but God and, and forget the existence of God, or wish to forget about God, God never forgets about men. God always observing man. He is looking down from heaven upon the children of men. He looks down from heaven to search out the truth. Corruption have reached such a height as it had, and God is represented here as looking down from heaven with one special object to see to see if there were any that understand and see God. Of course, God knows everything without any inquiry, without looking from heaven. But these words are spoken after the manner of men to make us understand. The word God looked down from heaven or came down from heaven remind us how when God looked from heaven, when the people were building the Tower of Babel to run away and escape from God. Also, when God said to Abraham, I will go to Sodom and Gomorrah to see whether their corruption reached its highest, highest or not. God is looking down from heaven to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Because God will not punish blindly. God is a just and fair God. So before he punish, he will look to see if anyone is there understand God or see God. He who is looking down knows the good and is quick to discern it and would be delighted to find it. God knows who are good and who are not. And God actually will be delighted when he finds us doing what's good. Also, God is the only one who searches the hearts and reins of men. And his search, actually when he looked at the human being, he found actually that we are fruitless. We don't have fruit of goodness in our hearts. All human beings have turned aside from the wise way of fearing the Lord. This was the situation before the grace, before the incarnation of the Son of God, before the coming of Christ. All the world, actually, they drifted away from the wise way of fearing God. God actually, when God finds none who does good, it is because there are none. No one 
who was able to do good on his own ability. It, it, it isn't as, as if there were some and God could not see them. When, when God says, I did not find anyone who does good, this means there is no a single person who is doing good. David here observe and remember that man is truly, profoundly, deeply fallen. They have become corrupt morally. So after David starts speaking only about the atheist, now he is speaking about the whole humanity. So when he said there is none who does good, so David broadened the scope beyond the atheist to include everyone. So no solitary, no one solitary individual does good in the sight of God on his own initiative and in his own strength without the grace of God. And that's actually what St. Paul affirmed in Romans chapter 3, 23. Verse 3, They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. So that's the conclusion. That's what God finds. All turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. They have all turned aside from God and from the rules that God has given them to walk by. Like the homosexuals, they turn it aside from the rules that God has given them. Like the transgender, like people who are supporting abortion, etc. All these people, they are turned aside from the rule that God gave us to walk by. They have turned aside from the truth into error, from doing their duty toward God to sin, from the path of wisdom and righteousness to the path of foolishness and wickedness. They are all together became immoral, vile, wicked before God. It is for the, this reason no one can be acceptable to God on the merits of his own work without the grace of God. That's why God sent his son, the Savior, to save us. All need goodness, all need righteousness that only God can provide for us and we receive it in the sacrament of the church. Actually, this psalm here, Psalm 14, is totally different, not totally. There are three verses missing in the Hebrew translation from the Greek translation. And St. Paul, when he quoted this psalm in Romans chapter 3, he quoted the psalm from the Septuagint. That's why in the Orthodox Church we consider the Septuagint is the uh, authoritative version of the Bible, not the Hebrew. And St. Paul, when he quotes this psalm, he quotes the Septuagint, not the Hebrew. So there are three verses not mentioned in Hebrew version, but they are in the Septuagint translation, and also they are in other translation, like the Coptic translation. What are these three verses? We can read them in Romans chapter 3, but you will not find them, unfortunately, in the Hebrew version. They all, they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. 
That is verse 3 in Psalm 14. Then this from verse 13 did not exist in the Hebrew, but it exists in the Septuagint. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. Uh, there is no fear of God before their eyes. These verses, unfortunately, uh, they are not in the Hebrew version of the Old Testament, but they are in the Coptic translation as well as in the Septuagint translation. Verse 4. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call on the Lord? So David here in verse 4, he actually speaks on behalf of God. So the exclamation here, as if God is speaking, and God is saying, have all people not know that I exist? Have all the works of iniquity no knowledge? Is it true that these people have no knowledge of me? So here David is speaking on behalf of God, as if God is speaking. As if God is asking, can it be possible that none of these evildoers is aware of the result of evildoing? So they deny my existence and also they are unaware of the outcome of their evil doing. Do they think to escape divine retribution? Just to say there is no God and you can live morally corrupt, that this actually will excuse you and make you escape the retribution of God? Are they so senseless as not to perceive the consequences of their wrongdoing. So God here actually is wondering, have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? They are sure to find out to what their wickedness is leading them. So if, if they used their mind and the revelation of God, they should know that their wickedness will lead to eternal destruction. But the wicked one is not only ignorant of any wisdom, not only ignorant in his denial of God's existence, is not only ignorant in, in not asking God for help, and not ignorant in doing corrupt, corruptible deeds, but also he is ignorant in hatred to his brother. This corruption will fill his heart with hatred to their brothers, to the extent that they eat up my people as they eat bread, who eat up, that's the rest of the verse 4, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord. So hatred of God and corruptness of life 
are the motive forces which produce violence and persecution. They eat up the church of God. They provoke the saints. They torture them and murder them for no other reason than they are just godly people. They are the, the people of God. And they work with no fear of God and they ignore his law. That's why they don't call on the Lord. And here, when he said, who, he, who eat up my people as they eat bread, David is saying they are devouring God's people. And this is just regular, unusual thing, as if they eat daily. So devouring God's people became their daily meal. Men who have knowledge, no knowledge of divine thing enslave themselves to become workers of iniquity and seek to amuse themselves with devouring the poor and the despised people of God. They despise them, despise the, the people of God. So the enmity of the wicked against God's believer is addressed to God himself. When actually, do you remember when God appeared to Saul, he did not tell him, why do you persecute my people? He told him, why do you persecute me? So the enmity of the wicked toward God's people, in reality, it is toward God. That's why David said, and they do not call on the Lord. They are guilty, not only of total injustice toward the men, but also of vile sin and contempt with God. They hate God, they don't pray to him, they deny his providence, they wholly neglect his existence, and they despise his worship. Verse 5, after he said in verse 4, Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call on the Lord, then in verse 5 he said, There they are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. So, there, in the midst of their evil doing, the word there here when he said there, they are in great fear, so in the midst of their evil doing, while they are devouring God's people, what will happen to these wicked people a sudden terror seized on them. There, in the place, in the same spot where they practice these offenses, God struck them with great fear. And I'm, all of you, I'm sure all of you remember the people who killed the 20 martyrs of Libya. How the martyrs were so brave and courageous, and the people who were killing them, they were in great fear and they were hiding themselves behind masks because they were afraid. So God's people cannot be attacked without provoking God himself. So when actually the ungodly people attack the children of God, they are provoking God himself. Because we, the children of God, we are in God, and God in us. So God assuredly will come to our relief. That's why the people who are persecuting the children of God, 
they become in great fear. Why become great fear? As David said, for God is with the generation of the righteous. God is with the generation of righteous. So, as strong as they may wish to deny the existence of God, but they live under the cloud of knowing they are battling against God, and therefore they will never win. So although in their hearts they deny the existence of God, but they feel his existence, and that's why they are in great fear. Then verse 6, verse 6, now David will direct his words to the wicked people. Verse 6, he said, you shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. So you can see here David switched from speaking about them to addressing them. You, he's addressing the ungodly people. You shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. So David turns to the atheist and no longer uses the third person to speak of them or about them. Now he's using the second person to speak to them, to address them. David here announced to the worker of iniquity, previously he mentioned them, that they may work against the poor, but God has a refuge for them that cannot be broken. You shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. But who are the poor here? The poor here are the poor in spirit, the children of God. So they are fighting against God, not against his children. That's why they will never succeed. So the psalmist refers to the confidence which the afflicted people professed to have in God for their deliverance. These poor people, they have confidence that God will deliver them. God is their refuge. And the word poor is not referring to economic status, poor in money. But the word poor means men who are afflicted and needy because they are metaphorically eaten like bread. As he said in verse 4, they eat up my people as they eat bread. So the evildoer of this world laugh at the righteousness of the believer. They mock them and they make fun of them. But there is a day when their laugh will cease. Laugh will turn into fear. And these poor, the righteous people of God, will find protection and safety in the Lord. But the atheist will find fear and terror. And both coming from God, the fear comes from God and the terror comes from God to the wicked. But the refuge and the deliverance come to the poor also from God. The figure that God is our refuge occurs in many Psalms. So the figure of God as a refuge of his people occurs in many Psalms, like Psalm 46, 61, 62, 71, 73, 91. Then last verse of the psalm, verse 7, Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion, when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. So now the last verse of Psalm 14, 
This verse like a concluding prayer for the deliverance of Israel. So David yearns for the salvation of Israel. And he wants this salvation to come out of Zion. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. Maybe it is a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. He will come from Zion. So David knew that the Lord was a refuge for his people and that the workers of iniquity would never win. Yet, that was hard to see at his present time, in the time of David. So David expressed his great longing that God would bring the victory and deliverance that he promised to his people. So he said verse 7 in a prophetic way about what will happen in the future. And he said, when God actually bring back the captivity, the word captivity here in general sense is speaking of any time or situation where God's people are oppressed and bound. But in a spiritual sense, those were taken captive by Satan. So David anticipates the coming deliverance and calls the people of God to be joyful in consideration of it that their deliverance, the Messiah will come and deliver his people. So after he has rebuked the wicked one, he concludes the psalm with a look that full of hope for God's help and his salvation. Because God is the savior of his church, church is considered the spiritual Zion. So these words do not appear to be intended of any mere temporal salvation of Israel like during the time of David. But as I said, it is prophetic. So it is not about temporal salvation from the rebellion of Absalom or any other adversity happened to Israel as a punishment of their sins. But church father understood this verse as referring to the salvation of mankind by Jesus Christ, the incarnation of the Son of God. Glory be to God forever and ever.